Well, welcome, everybody, to Rise Church. So glad that you're with us today. My name is Aaron. I'm the senior pastor. On behalf of my wife, Erica, and all of our staff and pastors, we're so glad that you're with us, especially if you're here with us for the very first time. Hey, if you're a guest with us, I always invite our guests to come back at least three times. Everybody say three times. Here's why, as I know, when you go to a new place, you don't always get the best experience on the first experience. So please come back and check us out a few times. You know, our hope is that we're your spiritual family. That's kind of what we uh, talk about around here. So especially if you're watching online, hey, maybe you Google uh, just new churches in the area. We're just glad that you're checking us out for the very first time and uh, so glad that you're here. If you are watching online, I'm going to ask you if you can do a few things. Number one, comment, like, and share. Hit that share button. It actually gets the message of Jesus Christ out into the world. And you can leave a review in Google or uh, recommended on Facebook. And then if you're in here, we all take your phone out. You're like, can I have my phone in church? Yeah, absolutely. And so uh, just go ahead and maybe let people know you are in church here. If you can check in on Facebook and let people know, it's been really good for us to kind of get the word out that our church is back open. By the way, side note, if you have not uh, been able to attend or you're wondering about it, I'm telling you, it's been awesome. We've had many uh, new families start to come back every week. We have more people come. We have new people come. It's a safe place. We're very, very clean here. So I promise you, if you're wondering, like, is this... is Am I ready? I Take a chance. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be great. So I'm so glad to see everybody in here today. We are starting a brand new series today called In God We Trust. And um, it's interesting because it's really hard in this current day and age to trust God. I mean, it was hard before, right? I think it was hard before when something bad happened to us. But man, living in a, a world of pandemic and all the issues of our life, and now we got an election coming up. It's like, oh my, what are we going to do? Like, what's going to Is anybody waiting for like the last thing to happen before this thing just collapses on itself? And so you're just like, how do I trust God in this moment? And that's a hard thing to do. But you know what? The Bible has a lot to say about that. And we're going to look at Scripture and figure out what, what do we do? How do you, how do you, when do I answer this question, maybe in this series, how do you trust God in your toughest moments? How do you actually trust God in your toughest moments? Because I don't know if you ever met a Christian recently who in a good intention was said something really unhelpful. So you were going through something tough. You were having a bad day. There was something going on with you in your life and you walked to them and you told them about it. And they said this crazy statement like, well, just trust God. And you're like, okay, I don't know how you, because you don't, you know, when no one moves past that, right? You're just like, believe God. Cause you're, you're really saying is like, I don't want to deal with your problem. I'm dealing with my problem. So hopefully God will help you in your problem. I'm going to talk today about what God has to say about trusting him inside scripture. So if you turn to Acts chapter 16, that's where we're going to be. Acts chapter 16. If you don't know uh, maybe anything about the Bible or scripture, it's in the New Testament. So the Bible is broken up into two different uh, major segments of the Bible. You have the Old Testament and the New Testament. In the New Testament, it starts off Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are all gospels, or we call lives of Jesus. And then after John, there's a, there's a book of the Bible called Acts. And Acts was written by Luke, the same Luke that wrote Luke, you know, uh, of the life of Jesus. And he was commissioned by a man named Theophilus to actually study and do an historical account of the life of Jesus and what happened after he ascended into heaven. And so Luke was a doctor. He was a physician. And so his book was written in a more scientific, strategic way. You see a lot more detail. It's one of the bigger books inside of the Gospels. It's huge. And so you can actually see some of the accounts of the first apostles after Jesus ascended into heaven. Or we talk even like the first kind of early church, right? The first century church. And you see in the first part of Acts, the kind of the journey of Peter, which is one of the apostles. And then you have this moment in Acts where this guy comes along named Saul, who was a really kind of super religious Pharisee that was actually pretty mean to the followers of Jesus. He killed followers of Jesus. And then he has this moment with Christ and actually changes him and converts him into a follower of Jesus. And so he goes from Saul to being Paul 
So now you see his name is Paul, and then he starts preaching the gospel all along and all around the world. Now, he has this moment where he pulls a man named Silas in with him, and they go to a city, and we're going to read about their encounter at this city that he's about to go in and preach. And you'll see kind of an interesting, I think, turn of events that I think happens to a lot of us. And I want to maybe teach from that on how do you, what do you do when, when that happens to you. So Acts chapter 16, so we're all caught up. We're all kind of know. I mean, all thankful for context, right? You know, sometimes pastors just read the Bible. And you're like, I don't know what the heck's going on. Now you know. And so we're all on the same page. Acts chapter 16. Uh, again, this is Paul and Silas. And said, once we were uh, going to a place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. And she earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. So you, they're, they're in the city. They're trying to preach the word of God. They find this woman. And she's, um, she's actually kind of a means of money for uh, her owners to tell fortunes of people who are kind of coming into the city. Verse 17 says, She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. Now, isn't that interesting? So she, she's following them all along the city, screaming to them about who they were inside of this world. So they, she was actually telling the truth, and she kind of have an interesting thing. But this is like one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture, and here's why. Because I feel like the Bible, if the Bible wasn't true, or you're just making up stories, you would leave stuff like this out. Like, because, you know, you would be like, you want to make sure everybody's painted in a great light, and no one would have any weird issues, or no one would be, you know, have problems with people. But it says this. It says she kept this up for many days, screaming at Paul and Silas. And finally, Paul became so annoyed. How many of y'all just thankful for that? Like, golly, can I be a Christian and be annoyed by something? Yes, you can. So it's like Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. Like, that's good, you know? So like Paul didn't set her free because he wanted to see her free. Paul set her free because was, he was annoyed. So I'm like, all right, I can see that because, you know, sometimes I meet people, none of you guys, in church. And so, so anyway, so when her owners realized that the hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. In verse 20, it says, then they brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar. Now you might, might read that, just kind of go, okay, they're Jews. They were just saying something for no reason. Uh, at that time, historically, if you go back and look at the scholars, they actually were um, being pretty discriminatory against the Jewish people. And so if they found out that you were a Jew or you were acting Jewish or you had any religious kind of flows or even cultural flows in Jewish, they were really, really mean. They actually really pretty terrible to you uh, in a discriminatory fashion. So they, they're, years, they're trying to figure out when they bring them before the magistrates with the kind of the judges and they were trying to bring them and give everything that they can to make sure Paul and Silas would get in trouble. So again, they, and they got in trouble for doing the right thing. And so they said, by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept the practice. So verse 22, since the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. So you're like, okay, that's kind of messed up punishment for helping someone. Okay. And then after that, they'd been severely flogged. So it's not just flogged. They've been severely flogged. Remember, anytime the Bible puts something in it, it's intentionally. All right. So severely flogged. They were thrown into prison and then the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Now, this is where it gets interesting. Verse 24, it says, when he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell. Everybody say inner cell. That's important. We're going to come back to that. And they fastened their feet in the stock. So if you missed out or you passed out or you're like falling asleep, wake them up real quick. I'll give you a quick summary of what we just read. Paul and Silas go into a city. They help a woman who was being terrorized and tormented by a spirit. They do good and then something terrible happens. Now, I don't know about you, but that happens a lot to me in my life. 
where you and I, we would set ourselves out to do something good in this world, to do something right in this world, and then all of a sudden, after you did something right, something bad happens. How do you trust God in those moments? Well, I'm so glad you asked. With that as our backdrop, that's what we're going to talk about today. Let's pray. Father, we love you, Lord. I, got, I, I thank you that today you have a word for us, and there's something about trusting you that is inherently Christian. There's something about walking with you, knowing that we're going to have a moment where we're going to need to trust you in maybe a weird moment where things didn't go the way that we had planned. And I pray that we would learn something, maybe walk out of here different than we walked in. Be with us today in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Um, how many of y'all have ever been on a New York City subway? Raise your hand. Have you been on a New York City subway? Okay, a few people online, I'm sure God sees it. Raise your hand, being a part. All right, so um, some of us have been on a New York City subway. They're not like any other subway. Like, I know some people have been like, well, I've been on a subway. You've been on one, you've been on them all. Not, no, that's not true. Because if you've been on a New York City subway, you know, like, those things are for real. Like, you got to be know where you're going. You got to be, like, sure about getting in and getting off and knowing where you're at. Because you can end up in New Jersey and not even know it. And so we were, we were, my wife and I were there. We were, went to uh, New York City on our honeymoon. We love cities and we love people and we like culture. And we were just like, we were going to go do something. So we thought instead of going to the beach, let's go to the city. So we went to the city for our honeymoon. Brand new married couple. First time I'm a husband. My new wife. I'm so happy. I'm walking. You know, my, I'm just so proud of her. I'm just showing her off. She's pretty. I'm just, just my, my life. I love her. She's good. And so we're walking down the street. And we decided we wanted to get on the subway. We wanted to go downtown. So we get on the subway. And I heard, before we went to New York, we heard this is, the number one thing everybody told me, I don't know why they told me this, maybe this is true, they said, hey, watch your wallet, because people like to pickpocket in New York. I'm like, have you been to New York? No, but that's what we heard. That's what we all say, right? You never went through it, but you give advice to people that never been there. You ever do that? You know, like, are you, yeah, we do that with like food, like don't try that, it's terrible. Have you ever had it? No, it just looks terrible. Okay, uh, thanks for the advice. So we got advice about going to New York, about being pickpocketed. So it got into my head. So I'm walking down the street with my wife. I said, babe, listen, we're about to be in the subway. I don't know what's going to go on down there. I'm nervous. So here's what I want you to do. Just give me all of your money. Give me your pot wallet. You give me your phone. You give me your hotel key card. You give me anything of value that you have on you. I'm going to put it in my front pocket. And then if they have to pick, if they're trying to pickpocket, they have to pickpocket me. You know, I just put my chest down and said, don't worry. I'm here. Your husband will protect you. So I'm like walking around my chest out. She gives me all her stuff. I'm saying, she's like, well, what if I need something? I said, don't worry. You're with me. So I walk. So we're walking out. We get on the subway. And I even have her subway tickets. We get on the subway. And we're in the subway. I'm sitting down and it's really confusing. There's like the L train to the orange train to the number five and to the six and to eight. And you don't know where everything is. So I'm like, I don't know where it's going on. I'm asking people. They don't even really know. So we're sitting in there and I think this next stop is coming up. But every stop before I would get up like nervous and then I'm like, okay, this is not it. So I can sit down. Then I get up and I get my wife I finally was just like, will you stop it? You're making me nervous. You're making everybody nervous. Just if you're ready to go, then we'll go. So I get to this stop and I'm pretty sure that this is the stop I need to get off of. So I, I kind of wait, the door's open and I had that moment. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Like there's a moment where you have to commit. Like you, 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 you have to like, you're either going to do it or you're not going to do it. And so I, I'm, I feel like I waited a long time. I don't, it might've been not very long. I feel like I waited a long time, but then I was like, no, this is it. So I get up, right? As I get up, I let go of the hand of my wife and I walk right off the subway. And just as I walk right off the subway, I kid you not, the door slammed like right behind me. It like cut my like, you know, my shirt a little bit. And I was like, it slammed right behind me. And I heard the people on the platform gasp in unison. Because they, they saw what happened because the door slammed shut. My little three-foot wife, you know, she's like, you know, she's not three-foot, she's short. But she said, you know, she's like this. And her hands, 
are on the window, right? And so, you know, the window's high, so she's, she's like, what's going on? And I'm not kidding you. She literally, she had her hands on the thing, and the thing just, you know? And she just, the subway just goes, and I just, like, there she go. My new wife, she's gone. And, uh, and the whole platform of people, they all get, y'all want to know what it sounded like? They all get, everybody gasped on the count of three. One, two, three. That's what it sounded like. Yeah, right behind me. And I was like, don't judge me, you know? And it's just, I meant to leave her, you know? And so... She gets down, and I had to find her later. It was, it was a mess. But anyway, like, I feel like I... Now, here's the funny thing about that. I got off on the right spot. I did the right thing. I got off on the right thing, but the wrong thing. Come on, how many of y'all know the wrong thing just... It just happened. Isn't it interesting? Like, what do you do? Like, what do you do when you do the right thing and the wrong thing happens? Maybe in marriage... You might be married in here. If you're married, you know, like... Um, God bless you, you know, because we, we, we're in a club, you know, and the club, I feel like, is like, we just going to make it as long as possible, right? Just hang on. Just hang on. One day, we're going to see Jesus. He's going to make all the things right. We're going to ask him all the questions about our wives and all the questions about our husbands. Like, why did they always put the toilet paper? Come on. Why do they always put the toilet Anyway, so um, I think, like, it's easy when you look at your marriage, you could get caught into, like, doing the right thing. But then your husband didn't respond the right way. Come on, right? You did something for him. Maybe you made him dinner. You got him, and then he brought home Whataburger after you told him you were making dinner. Come on, you did the right thing, right? Uh, maybe you're in your job. And um, how many of you have had this moment where you, you go in early, you stay late, you work hard, you're the number one performer in the company, and then the guy who's not got the promotion. Come on, that's never happened to anybody in here. Or, or, or maybe you're in your finances. You're doing the right thing. You're trying to budget and you're being wise with your money, and you're trying to do the right thing, and it just feels like you can't, come on, you can't quite get ahead. You're doing the right things, but the wrong things happen. I mean, how do you trust God with that? How, how do you move past the Christianese, well, just trust God, brother, to really finding that inner strength I would call Christian maturity of trusting God in a tough situation. Glad you asked. Proverbs chapter 3 gives us some insight. Proverbs is a book in the Old Testament. It's what they maybe call a wisdom book. If you don't know anything about the Bible, again, the Bible has so many different types of books. It's historical books and lives of Jesus. And it's books of prophecy. And, um, but but they, have, they have a whole section of just what they call wisdom books. And they're books written by really wise people. That would say, even Proverbs, even like they have 31 chapters, and some people do like a chapter a day inside, you know, their, the month, and they do devotionals like that. And Proverbs is full of great wisdom on how to live life. And it speaks to your ability to trust God and how to do it. So Proverbs chapter 3 is where we're going to be. We're going to read the verse, and then we're going to go through it with the context of what happened with Paul and Silas. Proverbs chapter 3, it says this in verse 5. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding. Now, most of you might have heard that, especially if you're a Christian, you grew up, you might have saw that on a bumper sticker. And that's what's interesting is because when you see and hear a lot of verses over and over and over again, sometimes we can forget what it actually means or miss out on the context of what they're trying to say. And it goes on to verse 6. It actually says, in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Because I don't know about you, but there are some things in my life right now where I'd love to know where to go. Like, how do I trust God in a moment? And sometimes trusting God is knowing which path to take. And so Proverbs gives us this insight. And as we kind of wrap up our message today, I'm going to give you three ways to trust God. Three ways to trust God through your, your prison moments. The first one is this, is trust, is to, is to learn to trust God, to look outside your feelings. To look outside your feelings. Proverbs chapter 3, it says, trust in the Lord 
with all your heart. Now, when you read that, when I read that, some of you in here heard me say, trust, trust your heart with the Lord. In fact, some of us like that better. We heard, trust your heart, and then God, God will come around it. We, we heard, like Disney, didn't you hear the Disney flow in that a little bit? Like, your heart is wonderful, and you will make it if you just believe. The, come on, how many of heard? Believe the magic in your heart. And then Prince Charming will come and rescue you. Your princess will be delivered to you with birds and the flap and then the smoke and then like, you know, a cricket will come and then something with the, like, looks like a flea will fly and you'll be dust and stuff, right? Like, you, we hear so much to just trust your heart that you and your heart is good. Some of you grew up like that. Like I had a mom who always used to tell me, Aaron, you have a good heart. And I love my mom, but she's wrong. <laughs> we, we don't have a good heart. And you and I can get caught into the culture world where they'll say, you have a good heart. Just trust how you feel. If you feel that, it must be true. It's like saying, if it's on the internet, it must be true. Well, okay. And culture might tell us to trust our heart, but Bible says don't trust your heart. Bible says trust your heart. Just trust the Lord with your heart. Like eventually, your heart might get you into some trouble. Here's why. Can I just, can I just, maybe have some real talk up in here? Like hashtag real talk. I'll give you real talk. Uh, uh, your, your, your feelings are liars. And here's how you know that. Is if you were to audit your life and go back to all the bad decisions you ever made. Just, this is a thought. You could go back and be like, you know what? I was not feeling it. You know, they say like, you're not feeling it. Like when you're not feeling it, you do some crazy stuff when you don't feel it. And when your feelings start to get in the way and you start highlighting your feelings, and you start living in your feelings and you start messing with your feelings. You get a culture like you got today because there's a whole lot of people stuck at home in their feelings. Drake didn't invent that. God did. And so, like, you can look back on your life. Like, I don't need to make you close your eyes and think. You already know. It could have been you did something this morning on the way to church. You're sitting there right now. You ain't come to church because something happened in your feelings. So, some of us have left church altogether at one point because of your feelings. And I'm just saying, like, if you go back to your bad decisions, it's like um, anybody ever gone to the buffet? You remember the buffet before COVID? I don't know if that COVID probably took out the buffets. To me, I'm like, good. All right. This is. But if you went to the buffet before, when you went to the buffet, when you were hungry, did you did you notice how you how you felt going in compared to how you felt going out? <laughs> Do you remember? Like you're like, oh, man, because you walked in and you were like, I'll take some pancakes and some chicken wings and some noodles. Oh, and some like, you know, shrimp. Like if it's a good buffet, it's got everything. Right. And then a couple of cookies and some pie. And you, you walked out of there. Actually, you didn't walk out of there. You rolled out of there. 
and you overate, well, what happened? You allowed your feelings to become your decision maker in your life rather than logic or reason. Or even what you knew to be wise. Some of us have left marriages because of our feelings. Some of us have left jobs because of our feelings. Some of us have, have made terrible decisions in our life because you've elevated your feelings more than you should have. More than I should have. But the Bible speaks to us about our feelings and really about our heart. Um, I love Disney, but they're wrong about your heart. Your heart's not good. Your heart's evil. The Bible talks about your heart, just so you know. It talks about all our hearts. This is kind of the nature of our heart. It's found in uh, Jeremiah, and it says the heart is deceitful above all things. That's heavy language, y'all. Like, that's deep. That's like, that's not leaving any room for wiggle, right? It's like the heart's deceitful above some things few things that when you're in a bad mood, no, all things, and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Some translations say, who can trust it? It says, Jeremiah, he's giving you some indicating, saying, be careful elevating your feelings too high. It's not that your feelings are not valuable. It just means that you got to keep them at the right perspective. Feelings are great indicators. They're terrible navigators, and you know this to be true because you got someone in your life who all they do is ever rely on their feelings, and everything that comes out of their mouth is what they, come on, what they feel. And so if you're going to trust God, come on, we're talking about trusting God in your toughest moments, you're going to have to move past your feelings. Could you imagine Paul and Silas sitting in that prison cell? I would be offended if I'm preaching the gospel, right thing, if I'm helping people, right thing, I'm delivering demons, right thing, and then you get punished for it. That's like the recipe for offense. They, they, they had to move past how they felt in their prison to move on to their pasture, to move on to their purpose, to come on, to move on to their, to their anointing of what they were trying to to do, and it's going to be the same thing for us. So be careful letting your feelings move you too much. The whole landscape of social media are people caught in their feelings. Before you hit post, I'm begging you, especially if you got Christian checked off on that box, I'm begging you. Don't. Because <laughs> your feelings are terrible navigators. Now, I'll get off of that because nobody likes it. Number two, talking about trusting God, look outside your understanding. This is interesting. Okay, so, so Proverbs says, then lean not on your own understanding. The word lean there in the Hebrew is sha'an. It means to prop up or to like really like uh, support. And he's saying like, you got to be careful building your life on everything that you logically see you through your experience, through your knowledge. Cause some of you in here, some of us in here were too smart for God. And so because of you, because God's gifted you in wisdom, sometimes God's gifted somebody. Have you ever met somebody and you're like, you're just so smart. Like I could study all day long and never get to your level. There are some people who are just seem to be gifted in that. And if you're gifted in that, you got to be careful that you don't prop up your faith in your life and your world based on what you experience and you understand. Because I've noticed that those who people who do that constantly are discouraged because eventually you come to the finite, the end of your understanding. You, you run out of things to Google. Right. 
And so you can get to a point and to a level where now all of a sudden you get to a level where if you looked at it through logical eyes, there's no hope. And for you to trust God, you can't lean on it, your, your own understanding. Paul and Silas were in their prison, but they weren't just in prison. They were in the inner cell. Let me describe the inner cell scholarly wise. OK, just so you know, historically, inner cells in that season when the Roman in the, with the Roman prisons were in the center of the prison. They were tended to be for the max. It was maximum security. So it was for the worst criminals. They had no windows. It had no air area for air to get into it. So regularly, people in those cells would pass out. The only air that came through would be through the cracks in the doors. There was no light, so it was always dark. In fact, in that cell, in the inner parts of the cell, the way they were designed, human refuge would be running through it. Typically waist high. No kidding. Then they were put in not just that, they were put in stocks. And stocks were designed by the Romans to every time you moved and made a move and tried to adjust and tried to make it better, it would make it hurt more. So think about it. If you're in that situation, you ain't making it out. To Paul and Silas, if they left and rested on logic and reason, they ain't going to make it. They're, they're dying in there. Their friends are going to die in there. These Romans were experts at torture no way out if they left it to logic and reason and for some of us that is our life right now if we're honest we're in an inner cell of our own you're looking at your bank account right now there is no light only darkness you don't see a way out i talked to more people some of it's you you can't breathe i talked to more people who struggle with anxiety and panic attacks and you say that anytime you do that what happens you say i can't i can't breathe Some of you are in a marriage right now, if you're honest. It's not going well. And you're in your own stocks because every time you try to make it better, come on, just makes it worse. And if you lean, if you on in your own understanding, if you're just left to see, like, if, if your life and your faith is all built on what you see and what you understand, you're never going to get out of it. There is no hope. But, 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 but Scripture speaks to us. Don't, don't lean on your own understanding. I, I try to encourage people. The Christian walk is designed by faith, right? So Scripture talks about that. It's like we, we live by faith and not by sight. So you can't lean into what you see and lean into what you understand you, you, we, we have to eventually take our steps of faith, church. We really do. And, and I think in our life, you're going to be led to a season, right? You're going to be led to a season where you're, you don't know where to go. And logic might tell you you're not going to make it. But thank God that he doesn't save us from everything. Sometimes the journey is more valuable than the destination, Sometimes seeing and letting, thank God that he's let me, he's moved, he, he brings me to, he brings me to the, to the moment where I, I say, okay, God, what's the next step? And he says, you, you got to take it. It's got to be a faith step. You got, you got to believe in me. You, and, and I tell him all the time, I don't know if you had these conversations with God. Do you pray like this? Like, God, I don't, I can't do that. You need to tell me where to go. And he's like, okay, well, will you go, go where you believe that I'm leading you. And I know, God, that, that's not how it works. I'd rather know and not have faith. I'd rather you just tell me. 
Did anybody have those conversations with God other than me? Okay, good. And I think God wants to grow us. The only way to grow faith, come on, right? The only way to grow faith is to take a step in it. When you ask God to give you faith, it's not like he delivers it like Amazon. When you ask God for faith, he gives you an opportunity to be faithful. That's the only way he can give it to you. It doesn't work like, it's not, you, you have to go through it, not just to it. And so my encouragement to you is um, stop asking God to take away that step. You, you'll never grow. The third one is ultimately this, and I, I think the first two should lead us to this step, and I'm closing with this thought. Because Proverbs speaks to it in what happens with Paul and in Silas, and he says this in verse 6. He says, and in all your ways, ever say ways. He says, in all your ways, acknowledge him. The word ways there is direct. It means, um, it means all parts of life. So in all parts of your life, acknowledge him. Acknowledge that he is in you, that he is your creator, that he is your defender, that he is your provider, that he is your healer, that he is your God, that he is your, your king, that he can make it when you can't make it, that he can make a way where there is no way, that he can move the mountain even though it looks too big, that he can actually bring you through it and not just to it, that he can actually stand you up when you're too busy sitting down, that he can bring someone around you when you feel like you're alone, when he can bring you peace, when you feel like you're in turmoil, that he can take away your anxiety when all the world brings you is anxiety, that he can actually heal you when you feel like you're too sick. Do you see the difference? Like there's, there's got to be a moment in your life where you feel like it's easy to be a Christian in the church. When you come in here and you sit around like-minded people and the, the preacher's preaching about God, you can amen a whole lot. But when I'm at home and my wife is mad at me because I did something dumb yet again and we fighting, it's hard for me to be a Christian. It's hard for me to when I know I raised you right. No pain like kid pain. I know I told you. I know I spoke life over you. I know I prayed over you. I know I believed in you. I know I set you up. I know I put a Bible in your hand. I know I taught you how to pray. I know I showed you good people to be around. I know I spoke the Holy Spirit in your life. I know I made sure you knew God. Like you, you're not doing what, that's hard to be a Christian then. No pain like kid pain. And, and so Paul and Silas are in a prison, and they do something crazy. I'll read it for you. It's in verse 25. He says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying, singing hymns to God. I, I, I don't understand that. So they did the right thing, the wrong thing happened. And now they're in the worst situation of their life. They should be killed and currently being tortured. And they're praying and they're singing hymns to God. And then the other prisoners were listening, which, by the way, just so you know, if you're um, going through a tough moment right now, just know you're not going alone. It's people are watching you. I know I harp on social media right now. It's because it's a landmine. It's a dumpster fire if there ever was one right now. And, and I'm telling you, 
If you keep going on social media and posting about how terrible your life is and you claim to be a Christian and the people in your life who are following you who aren't Christians, you're giving them no reason to enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Why would they change it? Because if you ain't got no hope, they already got no hope. And he goes on. So they prayed. They sang hymns to God. And suddenly there's a violent earthquake. The foundations of the prison were shaken. And at once, everybody say at once. At once, the prison doors flew open. God can do something in a moment that takes us a lifetime. And so, how do you trust God? You've got to look past your feelings. I've noticed that the best things in my life have come from me looking past my feelings. In fact, I did something in spite of it. I bet you could say the same. Look past your understanding. Logic would tell you that you are not going to make it through this season in a lot of ways. Maybe financially, maybe in your marriage, maybe with your kids, maybe with your health, maybe in your job. There's a lot of reasons why you're not. But, but again, you're trying, about, you're trying about trusting God. To, to trust God, you got to look past your understanding. And then eventually just move into a season where, where so there's some things that you got to move past, maybe not do. Maybe there's some to don't list things, right? The first two. But the third one is something you, you, you and I can do where we 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 lean into acknowledging him in all our ways in all parts of life when we're in our prison if we could learn to pray and sing my wife says it sometimes like this like if a bad day she go oh it's okay we could sing in the rain things aren't the best would you choose it if you could no but, but, but if we can learn to pray and sing hymns to God, acknowledge Him, some of the prison doors that you're in right now will fly open. Will fly open. How do you trust God in a tough season? I think biblical characters have shown us all throughout Scripture you learn to look past your feelings. You learn to look past your understanding. And in all your ways, acknowledge him.